0: for Hallett and his leadership and like in the English Parliament, hear, hear. He was threatening to play Alice's Restaurant if, if I didn't get up here quickly and kind of rescue him. Well, it's good to be with you and I'm so grateful for my family I love you guys. Thank you so much for hopefully loving me back. Um, I want to remind you of a verse, Acts 2.42, and how the early church, when the early church came together, what did they do? Um, And I'll read it to you. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, or the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. So four elements, the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And what I want to do this morning is um, follow that uh, pattern and uh, study together as best we can in a limited time the book of Second Timothy. Uh, This is Paul's teaching. This is the Apostle Paul teaching uh, one of his most most faithful disciples how to be an effective kingdom worker. And so I want to look at uh, selected portions. If you have your Bibles, uh, the first portion we're going to look at is chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. So I'm going to go ahead and read and... and, uh, Follow along. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, who I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of your sincere faith, of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure it is in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me, in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Now I'm going to skip down to chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We'll read this chapter together. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... These entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. Let's jump to verse 14. Uh, It's just tragic to skip any scriptures, but forgive me. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and thus they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, and those who call on the Lord, or with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. In chapter 3, I'd like to read just verses 10 through 17. But you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And then in chapter 4, just the first eight verses. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And then Paul talks about, in these last three verses, about how he knows he is at the point of his death. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day and not only to me but also to all who have loved his appearing. May God bless the reading of his word. I hope that as we have spent the time to do so that um, it hasn't um, caused your mind to drift, but rather that you feel washed and refreshed and blessed by the reading of his word. So what do you need to know about this book to kind of get a little bit of a handle on it? Well, first of all, this was Paul's last uh, letter that was written that's included in the New Testament. And it was written to Timothy. Timothy is the most mentioned companion of Paul in the Bible. Paul mentions a lot of disciples of, of his own, but Timothy is the most mentioned. Most Bible scholars think uh, that Timothy was a timid disciple because of uh, uh, 2 Timothy 1.7 that says that verse we read about, um, well, I better, I better turn to it. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of discipline. So uh, Timothy was most likely a timid man. He was also sickly. In 1 Timothy 5:23, Paul advises him to use a little wine for his stomach and his frequent ailments. And then we also know from 1 Timothy 4:12 that he was young. Um, Paul says to Timothy in that letter, let no one look down on your youthfulness. So he was timid, he was sickly, and he was young, and yet he was a, a faithful uh, worker and disciple of Jesus Christ. This is also a book of lists. There's all kinds of lists in this book. Let me make you aware of some of them. For example, um, Paul uses a lot of metaphors and uh, word pictures to help Timothy uh, how to view himself. He says, you're a teacher. He says, you're a soldier. He says, be a farmer, be an athlete, be a workman, be a holy vessel, and be a gentle servant. Aren't those great uh, pictures? Interestingly, he called Timothy his son, but he didn't exhort himself to see himself as a son of Jesus Christ. He, he gave him these other terms, teacher, soldier, athlete, farmer, workman, holy vessel, and gentle servant. There's um, um, like 20 characteristics of the, the last days. We didn't read that together, but let me read you. Those 20 characteristics, lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, uh, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, deniers of God's power and men of depraved mind. There's a lot of exhortations in this book as well. Listen to some of these. Kindle afresh the gift of God in you. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Join with me in suffering. Did you catch that a couple of times in the, the reading that we did where Paul said, join me in suffering? Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted unto you not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, like suffering is a gift. Uh, It's it's something you get to do if, if you're a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Guard the treasure, be strong, be diligent to present yourself approved, suffer hardship, flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, refuse foolish speculations, be kind to all, preach the word, do the work of an evangelist. And then here's a short list of things to avoid. Entanglements. Isn't that a great word? Entanglements. That that little word has been haunting me all week. You know, as life hits me, I think, oh, is that an entanglement? Or is is this something I really should be okay with, you know? Um, Worldly and empty chatter. Refuse foolish speculations we're actually encouraged to avoid certain people. Avoid men who deny the power of godliness. Avoid these men. And then avoid youthful lusts. So in short, 1 Timothy is a combat manual. It's a manual for combat in the kingdom. And one commentator said that Paul was in fact saying to Timothy, this is a time of growing opposition, but of glowing opportunities. Isn't that good? Growing opposition, but glowing opportunities. So the title this morning um, is How to Be an Effective Kingdom Worker. How to be an effective kingdom worker. And let's look at five ways, lifting just some themes from this book Uh, by which we can be effective in the kingdom. First of all, I want you to note verse 14 of chapter 1. Guard, therefore, or guard, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Guard the treasure. Guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. What is that treasure? What is that treasure? That treasure is the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the treasure that we've been given. It's the treasure that we are to hold most dear in our lives. Flipping over to Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid, And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he sold all that he had and bought it. We have to remember that our greatest treasure is not success. Our greatest treasure is not a happy marriage. Our greatest treasure is not the American dream. Our greatest treasure is not healing from illness. Our greatest treasure is not miracles. Our greatest treasure, the thing that we need to hold in our heart, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? The gospel of Jesus Christ. When we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, miracles follow. It's not the other way around. It's not the, way the other way around. We need to focus in on that gospel of Jesus Christ and make that our most precious treasure. One thing I can't emphasize enough, I, I don't know if you'll remember me emphasizing this or not, but the gospel is not something we create. It's something we discover. It's something that has been delivered to us. It's a set of of beliefs, a set of truths, a set of reality that God has given to man, and it's not our right to massage it, to refine it, to adapt it, to enculturate it. The Gospel is the Gospel. Um, Paul said in 1 Corinthians um, 15.3, For I delivered unto you... As of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Proverbs 4.23. Many of you could recite that verse to me. Who can say it? Anybody? Guard your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. I love that verse because it's saying we have to watch carefully over the affections of our heart, don't we? Let me read it to you in a few different versions so that it can take root. King James Version, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. New Living Testament, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. NIV, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And this is a paraphrase, not a translation, but I liked the way the Living Bible said it. Above all else, guard your affections, for they influence everything else in your life. I see many of you nodding your head in agreement. So every once in a while we need to take stock, don't we? We need to take stock. Is the gospel my treasure? Or has something else become my treasure? My greatest treasure? Do I know the gospel? Can I articulate it well? Will I defend it? Am I passing it on to others? Am I guarding my heart from other affections, distractions, entanglements? Am I trading the best for the good? How's my quiet time? Am I regular in the word? Am I witnessing? Am I fervently loving the brethren? Jesus said, where a man's treasure is, there is his heart also we're first to guard what has been trusted to us aren't we the gospel of Jesus Christ so that's that's point 1 and if we never if we didn't go any farther i would feel that we've touched something extremely valuable this morning i hope you agree but there's so much here let's go to the second one intentionally disciple others amen intentional discipleship is also at the beginning of chapter 2. Let's read the second verse. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. This is an old discipleship verse, isn't it? Many of us in this body who went through uh, the Maturity in Christ series years ago, this verse was hammered into us in a good way. And um, it was also the Navigators, Dawson Trotman and the Navigators, it was their rallying cry. Um, Just just a a fantastic verse. And, you know, there isn't one way to disciple people. Um, I think of Jim, for example, how he meets with individuals for breakfast. And it's not about did you memorize this scripture, but it's sharing life. I think of Gordon, who, um, with his very active mind, uses Facebook and texting very effectively to get a scripture or an encouragement or an exhortation out to many, many people. He reaches many people uh, through that medium. My preference is to stay away from all that stuff but I'm really glad my brother's out there. Um, I think of Bill, you know, with Bible Bowl. and I could go on and name every elder. I think of Daniel and Lauren uh, discipling the basic uh, young people. It's just, there's so many ways to do it. I want you to notice that in this verse, four generations are mentioned. Paul says, "...and the things which you have heard from me..." In the presence of many witnesses, you entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Isn't that beautiful? Um, Joel has made me aware recently of this book, The Resolution for Men. And Joel, I hope you'll preach a message on this book. I've just dabbled in it a little bit. Um, But it's a call to fathers to disciple their children, to be leaders, not to be passive. Spencer was telling me before the service that his family prays every Sunday for the preacher the next day, uh, or every Saturday they pray for the preacher, and little Caitlin prayed for me, I guess, uh, that not that I wouldn't make any mistakes, but that I'd be filled with wisdom and uh, the word of the Lord. And I thought, Oh, that's so wonderful! Uh, and then uh, my next thought was, maybe she doesn't have enough faith that I won't make any mistakes. But, <laughs> but anyway, that's not important. I want to read um, just a couple of paragraphs from this book to challenge, especially you young fathers or young men who will be fathers someday. This current generation of young men doesn't know what it means to be a man, or to be a a mature, responsible leader, or to be a strong and engaged father one day. Society is guiding men, excuse me, guiding boys to remain boys as long as possible, extending childhood into their 30s, while forcing girls to become women long before they are ready. Instead of growing up, getting married, and courageously raising up the next generation, millions of young men are staying single, remaining emotionally and directionally dependent on their mothers, while becoming addicted to entertainment, pornography, and video games. And this is the line that really uh, says it powerfully. They want the privileges and rewards of manhood, but only the responsibilities and moral requirements of boys. So when they become fathers themselves, they don't know what to do, and they feel extremely ill-equipped. Just a couple more thoughts. At home, men are notorious for being oblivious to the huge leadership vacuum, and their passivity creates They don't realize how negatively their wives and children are affected by their lack of spiritual direction and leadership. Throughout history, men who lived incredible lives and left great legacies did it intentionally. They knew that men do not stumble upon integrity or accidentally find themselves being faithful to God. Passivity merely leads to futility. A man cannot be passive about what the scripture tells him to do for his family and expect to be found faithful to God in the end, he must see with spiritual eyes and realize that future generations are directly impacted by his daily decisions. Isn't that powerful? I, wanna, I just want to say to you young fathers, if I could go back and do it over again, what I would want to do a lot more of is after the family dinner time, open the word of God, and read some scripture together and discuss it. I wish I had been more intentional. I expected my kids, largely, I expected them to catch it from my life, and thank God they did. They're all walking with the Lord, and I give Him the glory for that. But I wish I had been more intentional uh, leading my home in scripture and prayer. So I want to challenge you young men to do that. Dawson Trotman in his little book, Born to Reproduce, said this, man, where is your man? Woman, where is your woman? Boy, where is your boy? Girl, where is your girl? We have a beautiful example of this uh, 2 Timothy two. when I think of Millard and Shirley. Uh, they invested their lives in Kenya, And though they have no children of their own, biologically, spiritually, they have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And even now that they're fighting various physical ailments, God is opening a door in Rwanda for them. And so that's a beautiful example. And this is only one couple of many who we know we could lift out as examples, but Praise God. Intentionally disciple others. Number three, another important necessity, and I want to emphasize this one especially, stay with me, is adopt the mindset of a soldier. Adopt the mindset of a soldier. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And then Paul goes on and talks about an athlete and a farmer. He says, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Well, in our culture, as people try to walk out their Christian faith, they're tempted to cut corners, aren't they? Change doctrines, change the biblical worldview and things like that. And so they want to change the rules. But Paul is saying the athlete who competes according to the rules is the one who wins. And then the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So what are the traits of a soldier? I'd like you to imagine a soldier with me standing guard and it starts to rain. Um he he can't go in and say I'm soaked to the bone uh would somebody give me a bowl of soup? Would somebody put a Where's mom? Where's mom? I need I need a blanket around my shoulders. I, I need dry clothes. No, a soldier does his duty. He he is uh, devoted to the one who enlisted him. He takes orders. He puts up with hardship. How about a farmer? You know, a farmer is diligent. A farmer is internally motivated. He doesn't need somebody to tell him to work on his machinery when the weather's bad. He, he knows. He's internally motivated. He's methodical. He's diligent. How about the athlete? How about the premier athlete? Um, They train for hours every day. They're focused primarily on one thing. And uh, they are disciplined, and they compete according to the rules. If they're in the starting blocks, they can't can't get out ahead of the gun. Uh, They have to stay in their lane for the most part. So athletes, these are great, great images. I want you to look with me at Luke 17, verse 7 through 10, or I'll just read it to you. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? Will he not say to him instead, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? he does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say we are unworthy slaves. We have only done what we ought to have done. That's pretty hard. You know? That doesn't sit well with my sonship uh, heart. You know, Uh, I want to come in from doing a good job and be rewarded. I'd like that, that hot meal. I'd like, uh, I'd like somebody to acknowledge the good job that I've done. And I I suspect that because of that trait in us that always wants to be rewarded, that Jesus felt it was important to say, take on the attitude of a slave. Take on the attitude of a soldier. Um, Mark Gunger in his in his work called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. Talks about how men have this reward system going on in our heads, where if we get up on time, we immediately give ourselves a 1,000 points. And um, you know if we brush our teeth, well, that's, that's another 2,000 points. And if we get out the door on time, that's another 1,000. And so we accrue points all through the day in our minds. We're rewarding ourselves. Um, You know, the worldly man gives himself a lot of points for not stopping at the bar on the way home, uh, going directly home to his family. And so we, we end up plopping on the couch and looking at our wives and our six little kids running around, and we can't imagine that she's accrued as many points as we have. So it's like, where's dinner, babe? You know, and we want to be rewarded. But Jesus knew we need this attitude that can put up with hardship. That is a little bit tougher. Don't you think we have gotten soft and we need a more robust and virile faith? What do you think? If you think I'm, if you agree, raise your hand. I need some support here. All right. So we've gotten soft. Don't get in the way of Jim Grinnell going for his cup of coffee in the morning. You know, some of us are are too attached to TV. I better be able to see my shows or, or, or else, you know? Some of us are very attached to our schedules. In other words, don't upset my schedule. I have my bedtime, I have my this time and that time, and if you upset my schedule, oh boy, look out. So we need that tougher more virile faith. 1 Corinthians 16.13 says, Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Isn't that a great verse? Isn't that a great verse? Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Let us adopt the mindset of a soldier. How are we doing? Fourth, we're to wrap our lives around the Word of God. That is a very strong theme in this book. Um, 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Handling accurately the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction for training in righteousness. And then in 1 Timothy 4, we didn't read these verses, but listen to how powerful they are where Paul says this. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and those for you. Take pains with these things, Paul says to Timothy. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Jim sent Bill and and myself an article this week about how the Presbyterian Church USA voted to, or not ordain, but to endorse same-sex marriages in their denomination, a very sad development. And I was interested in how the arguments went for and against. Of course, those who were for uh, same-sex marriage argued along the lines of civil, um, civil justice, um, civil rights and justice perspective. Those who argued against, were were particularly interesting to me. Listen to their arguments. One argued that the uh, American Presbyterian denomination would be there would be division between the US and the global mission partners. Another argued that we will lose churches. Another argued separation from Arab and African believers who do not accept homosexuality. In the article there was one lone voice that said advocates of same-sex marriage within the church are agents of the state, not ambassadors for Christ. Probably had a little bit of a prophetic brother there. But my question is this, did anyone argue from 2 Timothy? Did anyone argue that we can't modify the faith once delivered? That to do so would be like the athlete wanting to change the rules, that we are to guard the treasure of the gospel, that we should not accumulate for ourselves teachers in accordance with our own desires. We may want to affirm same-sex marriage because of our sense of justice and fairness, um, but that's not what the gospel, the gospel doesn't allow that. And so... I wonder if anyone argued from these that we are to retain the standard of sound words, verse 13 says. So, we need to uh, wrap our lives in the word of God, don't we? To stay clear and sharp and maintain the truth of the gospel. Finally, we're to do the work of an evangelist. I love how that's worded. It doesn't say that we all have the gift of evangelism, does it? But that we're all to do the work of an evangelist. Last week Dawn got up and shared how a couple people had come to Christ uh, that she'd been working with. And she said, I don't have the gift. Some people have said, I have the gift of evangelism. She said, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I just get involved in unbelievers' lives and, and talk about the Lord and eventually they come to Christ. Once when walking down a street in Chicago, the famous evangelist D.L. Moody stepped up to a man, a perfect stranger, and said, Sir, are you a Christian? And the man angrily retorted, You mind your own business, sir. Well, D.L. Moody looked him in the eye and he said, This is my business. Sharing the gospel, sharing our treasure is our business. It is our business, and uh, we need not to be put off. So let's pray for opportunities, for boldness, for a context, a relationship. VBS is coming up in two weeks. Here is a tremendous opportunity to be involved at a deep level or a, a little level. I heard from Hannah that Megan Failer has jumped in with both feet to do the preschool class and Hannah voiced I'm not sure she understands what she's getting into now gratefully Hannah's gonna be at her right right hand myself I am pounding sand in a sense I'm delivering sand to Megan's classroom which I think is probably a huge mistake but but I will deliver the sand. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20 says, He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So, In conclusion, how can we be effective kingdom workers? You might want to write these down uh, if you feel that this was meaningful. First of all, guard the treasure of the gospel. That's point one. Point two is intentionally disciple others. Point three is adopt the mindset of a soldier. Four, let's wrap our lives in the Word of God. And five, do the work of an evangelist. I'd like to uh, close by praying uh, for all of us. Particularly, I'd like to start out by praying for the VBS workers, uh, everybody who's involved with VBS, um, that this would be a tremendous time that some young people would come to Christ uh, and live a lifetime for Jesus Christ. I'd like to pray for us that if we're not involved we would get involved somehow. And then I'd like to pray for those of us who might feel like, I'm not doing any of those things, you know, any of those five things. I am a horrible, low-life worm. Okay, so what do we do with that? Remember Brother Lawrence, how he would just say, Lord, without you, I can't do any better. We're just going to pray, we're going to change our mind, and uh, we're going to... We're going to start looking for opportunities with a fresh start. So, would you stand with me and let's pray these, pray these things. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the great treasure that you have entrusted to us. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now that that treasure if it has grown dim, Lord, or been hidden away somewhere, that it would once again come to the very forefront of our hearts and become the most precious thing we have. The reality of Christ's death on the cross, that we might be righteous before God and have eternal life with with you. We thank you, Lord, for that precious gospel. We lift up VBS this year, Lord, two weeks away. Thank you for Dawn and Patty and James and others who are leading the charge. Thank you for every crew leader. Thank you for the, the, the needs that are still out there on the board. We pray that some of us would this morning meet those last needs, Father, that we might have a a participation in your gospel entering the heart of a young girl or boy and changing their life forever. Oh God, we pray that kids would get saved, that not just a few, but many kids would come to Christ. We pray for our own TCF kids who already know you, Lord, that they would see themselves as missionaries in the midst of their own people group, as it were. Father, bless this effort. And we just thank you again for those who are on the front lines. Pray for rich anointing, Father, and favor. We pray for stamina and perseverance, Lord. I pray that when Thursday and Friday roll around, there would be greater enthusiasm and greater energy rather than a desperation for the week to end. We praise you, Lord, and we bless you. Uh, Give each crew leader, teacher leader favor with the children that they have in their group. We pray for any discipline problems, Lord, that uh, you'd help us to handle that quickly and effectively for the good of the child and the good of the group. We bless you, Lord. Father, we do pray that we would guard the treasure of the gospel we pray that you'd show us contexts in which we can disciple others. We pray, Father, that we would have a tougher uh, mentality, um, that of a soldier and a slave, where we can do the hard thing when it needs doing. Help us to, um, to uh, wrap our lives in the Word of God, Lord, and to be quick to do evangelism, to get in a good word for the Lord, to see where people are at with the Lord. Those of us, Lord, who just feel like we're failing on every level, we ask, Father, for a fresh start. Help us not to be overwhelmed with condemnation. Help us simply to repent and to see where you would have us focus, where you would have us begin to work. I bless my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the family of God that you've given us, you've given me, and we uh, ask your blessing on this message in Jesus' name. Amen.